Hey, I'm Alba. Hi guys, I'm Lauren. I'm Steph. Hi, my name is Chris. I'm Pascal. Hey guys, welcome to the very first episode of the I Speaks on Justice podcast. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> That's your fault. Right, so today we're going to be talking about voter suppression. And we have Pascal, Albo, Chris, Steph, and me, Lauren, here to talk to y'all today. So let's go. To kick off, what is voter suppression? We are going to be talking about all types of voter suppression all around the world, but as a general statement, Voter suppression is any strategy whose purpose or practical effect is to reduce voting or registering to vote by members of a targeted racial group, political party, or religious community. Disenfranchisement is the act of depriving a person of the rights or privileges of citizens, usually the right to vote. So this can be a legal disenfranchisement where there are specific laws in place to discriminate against certain people from voting. And it can also be laws that are meant to suppress voters, but it's not explicitly that's not the explicit intent of the law. The voting paradox is basically, there are certain groups of people, like people of color, for them, the cost of voting is a lot because they have to take time off from work and they have to forget their salary for that day. The issues that they vote on actually affect them the most because they are the most vulnerable groups and they are the most uh, affected by different, very specific uh, laws and policies. So that's the paradox. It's when the people that are most affected by the issues that they're voting for can't vote. In 2011, in Canada, there were some robotic algorithms that were making calls to different voters, and they would tell them that the polling stations were changed, and it would lead voters out to several hours away from the actual voting location. And that's another form of voter suppression because you're obviously discounting so many people that could go vote. So speaking of polling stations, just the fact of having limited polling stations can also be a form of voter suppression. Polling stations in specific neighborhoods can be closed or understaffed, leading to long lines. And when there are lines that are days long, which some were in the United States in the recent election, people aren't going to want to have to take that time out of their working life to vote. Another interesting example of voter suppression is in 2005 in Iraq when there were threats of violence outside of the polling stations because of upheaval around the election. So as you can see, voter suppression doesn't have to be legislative, it can just be dangers from other people. In Taiwan, there are three political parties. You've got the pan-blue supporters, pan-green, and independents. And independents are less likely to vote merely because they actually receive less political information so there's less advertising targeted towards them, and this means that they're not equally well informed. So again, another form of voter suppression can just be based off of where you get your information and what information you're exposed to. A big problem in the US has been poll workers, people not being willing to volunteer as poll workers, especially in 2020, when poll workers are often older people who didn't want to have to risk getting coronavirus. Coming back to limited amounts, of polling stations, we can look at rural areas and what polling stations are available to them. So not only whether or not the polling station is understaffed, but how long is it going to take someone to even get to a polling station? Can they get there? If they don't have a car, for example, or roads, they're not going to be able to get to a polling station that's hours away. Yeah, and so you have that, that's the case in a lot of big countries which have just a, a large sprawl. And like even in Namibia, for example, the <coughs> polling stations, if you look at polling maps, they're all clustered around the urban areas, which makes sense, but it means that all the people who don't live in these urban areas, who live far away from them, it takes hours, even days, to get to a polling station just to vote. So, I mean, that's where you really kind of see that 
you're privileging certain groups of people in the electoral process. And that's kind of the, the foundation of the issue, the basis of the entire issue is that when some people can vote and others can't, you're going against the foundations of democracy. I mean, Pascal, you mentioned COVID, and I do think that that's actually a very important topic that we should definitely cover on. Elections in these days of a pandemic are very different to what we're used to. I mean, you think of election day, you think of people excitedly going to the polls after, in theory, doing their research on their candidate. They they want to have a say in their country's elections. But in these in these COVID days, is that really the reality? I mean... At least in the U.S., we saw a lot of issues and controversy on mail-in ballots. I mean, whether these are founded or not, that is a whole other conversation. But I think that that really does play into voter suppression and also just the spread of propaganda and doubting your own voting system and electoral system. That is a form of voter suppression. If people don't trust their electoral system, their government, how can you expect them to actually elect a candidate when they don't even trust that that candidate is going to be able to do anything for them. So we really need to ensure that people trust the electoral system. And if you're spreading doubt on that, you're really just creating a mess. The foundations of democracy lie on the idea that every vote is worth the same amount, but mostly that every vote counts. And when politicians spread a rhetoric of mistrust and doubt in an electoral process, the essential of democracy is put at risk because people just don't bother. When you're told that an election is rigged, who's going to bother to vote? There's no point if it doesn't count. And that's voter suppression. When you're told your vote doesn't count so that you don't vote, that is voter suppression. The events of the United States 2020 election are despicable just for that reason. They're the leaders of the free world, yet here they are portraying textbook examples of disenfranchisement. Obviously, some serious reorganization and reconsideration is crucial, but it's key to remember that People are going to follow what their politicians say just because people need people to look up to. So there is so much responsibility on these politicians to be responsible with what they say. And let's be honest, that was not the case. This really kind of brings forth the idea that people don't trust their governments, they don't trust their electoral systems because of those reasons. Because some politicians will spread some conspiracy theories, others will say the exact opposite, and then people just don't know who to believe. And that's where distrust in an electoral system and in uh, election results can completely cause the foundations of democracy to crumble. So voter suppression is, is an immense issue. It is an immense issue that we face. And it seriously puts at risk the entirety of society as we know it, as uh, the entirety of democracy as we know it, of elections as we know them. And so if we cannot put a stop to voter suppression, how can we expect to keep going as we are? There is such a problem with mail-in ballots, or there's such a risk. Why haven't we invested? And that's the word you guys keep using, is this investing in voting and investing in giving people a voice. Why hasn't there been a massive investment, not just in the United States, but worldwide, in electronic voting? I mean, here in France, there's still no electronic voting. You still have to show up at the urns, put your vote in the urn. You can vote by proxy, um, but why is there not worldwide, in this day and age, a better system for electronic voting that would maybe solve this problem? I mean, I do think that this is also where kind of the fear-mongering comes into place. And I'm, I'm not saying that it's not based on anything. I mean, interference with countries' elections is not something new, and it's definitely happened in the past. Many argue that it is significantly easier to do with electronic voting. However, let's be honest. 
we look at the way that we're advancing in terms of technology, we're investing so much in technology. I truly find it very unreasonable to think that we can't invest in technology that is safe for elections. And I think it's just a matter of priorities. We need to be prioritizing voting, prioritizing democracy, because that is really the foundation of our society. If we're going to be so critical of mail-in ballots, but then we don't want to invest in electronic voting, I mean, what do you suggest? There's nothing else. I think it's very easy while we're talking about politics to get caught in an American narrative. So let's move the focus to some other countries that have policies that we think would be interesting to implement where we have lived and where we do live now. My personal favorite example is Austria, where they have lowered the voting age to 16 as of 2007. This isn't isolated to Austria. There have been many other countries, including Argentina, Brazil, Ecuador, and Germany, just to name a few. There are many, many arguments for and against this. I think it's safe to say that it's one of the biggest debates surrounding voting, especially in the younger population. But you cannot deny that it increased voter bait by 2,000 votes, according to The Independent. 200,000. 200,000 votes, sorry. This also encourages pe young people to engage in politics younger. Now, many critics would say that 16- to 17-year-olds are too Im immature to make well-informed decisions, but in my opinion, you can say that about people at almost any age, and it's a matter of making it a part of our society and our communities. 18-year-olds know that they are going to have to vote, so they start doing their research. It's just a matter of making that a part of a habit when you become 16. I think the proof is in the pudding. I mean. I think this election has been the most involved that a lot of the Gen Z have been and those are the people who are like 16, 17, 18, early 20s, right? I mean on TikTok, on social media, Instagram, Twitter, people have been involved with this election and they've been concerned and they've been doing their research. And I mean that's not just for the American presidential election, you can see it in other countries. Granted I can't give you those examples right now but it exists, I've seen it. I mean these things come up on my feed and I see it and I get interested and I mean, that's sort of how I learn about it a lot of the time. But actually, that's why I see a huge issue with having young people vote, you know, having young people as young as 16, 17 to vote. Because really, when, when you have people who gather most of their information from social media, the big issue is that social media feeds you what you want to hear. So if you, if you look up a certain policy or you look up a certain candidate, they will feed you more information that is more relevant and they will push you actually, they'll actually disrupt your bias and push it more towards that uh, section because that's really their goal is to just show you in information that you want to see so that's why I think it's actually dangerous because a lot of these people are unaware that social media has such an effect on your political opinions and I actually think it's wrong to lower the age so low but you can also say that about anything I mean knowledge polarization is not a new concept it's definitely very different in the digital age however you can have a 30 year old it's the same thing you know they're going to be right. watching cnn cnn is not going to be saying go vote trump i mean you're watching cnn you're watching biased news sources many say that there is no such thing as unbiased news anymore so whether you're getting all your information through social media or you're doing a lot of research through various through various other sources your information is going to be biased. So then why not have a larger pop a larger percentage of the population that can actually do something about it? You know, either way, they are the they're the people who are going to be voting in the future. And so if get, we're getting all our information on social media now, we're going to be getting all our information on social media in 20 years. That's just the way that we're moving forward in a society. So why not? And I think especially just to note, it's not that you're just getting your information from social media. It just brings about awareness. You become aware of things that are happening through social media and of course I'm not saying 
just go and look at two people's Instagrams and call it a day. No, like you need to do your research. And granted, not everybody does that, but it is something really important. And if you have something that can start that desire to know more, I think that's a great thing. So how do you get, what do you guys do in your everyday lives to make sure that you're getting the entire picture and not just the, the biased picture that's being pushed to you through your, your social, because we can't deny that there, there is a push and there's an algorithm and, and there's a bit of stuff that's, that's out of your control. So what are you doing in your everyday lives to counteract that? Personally, because it's so easy to write whatever you want to on social media, if I see something that is information that I'm very interested in or I'm likely to use, I will go and look it up on my own computer. Now, that is of course a flawed system because you can make the exact same argument for Google that we've just made for social media. If you look up what is democracy, if I look it up, I am going to get a different response than when Lauren looks it up and then when a Republican in America looks it up. But still, checking that information that you get is from a source that you deem to be reliable, I think is very important. But something that I do that I think more people need to do is I will actually go on to Fox News and see what they're saying. I mean, we're all, we're all gonna laugh at this, okay? But I think it's very important to understand what the other side is seeing. I do follow Donald Trump on it, um, social media, not because I agree with his ideas, but because before I can form my opinion on what I believe in, I need to understand why other people have formed their opinion on something that I personally find the complete opposite of my personal ideas. No, exactly. I, I was gonna say the same thing. I actually follow both sides. I, you know, I have, like, my YouTube feed is mostly about, you know, environmental, um, you know, environmental action and all of that. But then I'll go up and look, you know, why are we against fracking or why are we for fracking? Or I'll look up, you know, why, why do people support Trump? And then I'll find all of these people that I didn't know existed that are voting for one side or the other. And I think it's crazy. <laughs> but then, you know, when you actually look at it, you realize that these people do have valid uh, reasons. To add to this, I also think we're right on the verge of starting to talk about fake news, which is something, I mean, that's a whole other episode, something we can talk a lot about. But as a general rule for what I personally will do is I think to decide whether or not you're going to believe something, whether you think it's fake news or not, you have to kind of look at the middle because as a general statement, the most extremist views usually aren't true. Now, there are some things where this isn't true. For example, you know, the earth is either flat or it's round. There's no middle ground. But in something like voting, there is so much gray space. I think that's where we need to be focusing our attention, not on the black or the white. And then you just need to decide, what do you think is an expert? If you see a site that is citing a person who does not have a PhD, that is cherry picking information. Do you think that that's true? And it comes down to your personal beliefs, but I think you just also have to be logical. If someone is saying something that is very extremist and say, citing it as a fact, in all likelihood, it's not true. No, definitely. And I do think that you just need to be conscious of the information that you're receiving. I mean, look, many would say that I am particularly far left on the political spectrum. And obviously my social media is going to know this. Um, <laughs> my Google search history is going to know this. <laughs> I mean, and that, like, Chris is right. That is going to impact the information that I receive. But if you need to just be making the effort, as much as I hate watching Fox News, I do it sometimes. <laughs> I do it. Um, same thing. I do. I, I mean, honestly, I really don't watch Fox News that much. I try to watch <laughs> other um, further right media sources. But... It is important to just kind of be getting both sides because you can't formulate an opinion if you're not properly educated on it. So I think that that's really kind of what we need to be taking from all of this is part of voter suppression is 
not being informed and not having access to the information. So how can we be talking about voter suppression and feeling suppressed and not having access to the vote if we're not even making an effort to be educated on the vote? And I think that that's actually a huge, huge point and a huge effort that we need to be making is getting educated. But people always educate themselves in different ways. This is just some of our opinions, and uh, it can be said that we all do have a fairly similar political idea. So we want to know, how do you stay informed about candidates and referendums? You can tell us on a survey that we will be sending out or on, on our Instagram. We want to find out what you think and how you get information so that we can help inform ourselves and inform our community. What is our Instagram? At Justice. Uh, heavy plate, a lot to think about, and we totally want to know what you guys think, what you want to express, any comments, concerns, questions, additions to what we've said. So you should totally leave those on our Instagram at ISpeaksOnJustice. Follow us, let us know, fill out our survey. Um, which is in our bio. Which is in our bio! <laughs> wow! <laughs> and yeah, I think that's all from us today. Yeah. Until next time! Thank you for listening. Bye. Thanks guys, bye. <laughs> it's a trip. <laughs> <laughs> guys, it's such I'll a hard one. one. Wait. Do you want me to say it? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I think we need to leave some of the laughing in there.